0: Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. It is time for our parenting slot, and Joanna Fortune is with me here in studio. Joanna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's great to see you. It's great. It's I, I'm I'm loving life, loving the job, loving the sun. Uh, I'm just so positive about everything and a little bit sarcastic. <laughs> um we have some questions for you today. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll start off. I'll read them, because that's the job. Nine-year-old. My nine-year-old daughter is currently on holidays abroad with her dad and his family for a few weeks. She sees him regularly and has a good relationship with him. We have not been together since she was very, very small. She's only been gone a few days and is FaceTiming me multiple times a day crying that she misses me and she wants to come home. She seems anxious and upset when I talk to her. I know she is safe and looked after but I'm worried about her emotional well-being and sense of security. I tried to speak to her dad asking him to reassure her but I was told he doesn't need any parenting advice from me. It's not too easy to have a productive conversation with him. He thinks I'm Molly coddling her and tells me that she's okay. I know that she's struggling to settle in and she is homesick just by how she's speaking to me. I tried to tell her to take deep breaths, think about happy things, distract herself etc. But she is still very sad and crying every time I speak to her. Any advice appreciated? It's
1: really hard isn't it? And I think this is a co-parenting arrangement and you know on the surface it, it clearly is working mostly well most of the time because this little girl sees her dad as a good relationship with him. But holidays are different you know because it's the awayness it's that that kind of physical proximity, I'm really far away from my other parent and Mm -hmm. that can stir up other things that are not an experience when I'm only 20 20 minutes minutes or an hour or whatever it might be, um, away in the car. So it's really hard to kind of get deep into this one without cohesive co-parenting communication where you could ring her dad and say, she's been crying. She might just need a little bit of extra TLC or she might just need a little. If that's not an option and it doesn't sound like it is, I'm going to suggest to this parent that you focus on providing what I'm going to call a containing listening space. So when she calls you, that she can emotionally exhale whatever she's holding on to. She can cry. She can feel sad. She can speak all of that. She can articulate that. You're going to listen without fixing without rescuing you're just going to provide that listening and then at the end you're going to ask So is she saying anything or literally just Just listening? like you would if any friend was telling you oh I'm having a hard time you'd listen you'd empathise you'd nod and you'd say gosh you know what I'm hearing you say is and you'd reflect back the key okay. points and then over the course of the conversation you do want to get in there going what was the best thing that happened today and there'll be it doesn't matter how small it is you know whatever her best thing is and is there one thing out of everything that upset you today, what's the one thing that you would most wish you could change? So you're kind of giving her those little clues of it's not all bad, something good happened, but at the same time you're letting her go, okay, but there's something I could change tomorrow that could affect a different outcome. So that she is self-regulating and correcting some of that behavior and some of those experiences, but with your help. I also think, you know, ask what she's reading, okay? And you read the same book she is I mean, at the same pace. It doesn't really matter if you're a chapter ahead. Just stick with the pace that she's okay. at when you discuss it. And then she's going to know that you're sharing, um, sharing an experience or joined in something with her and that you can have that together when you talk. So what bit did you read? What did you think of that? What do you think will happen next? So there's a that focus you, for the, the conversation as well. well. So it's not I'm just ringing you to tell you all the things that have gone wrong today but that you can have that other conversation and make a plan for when she comes home for something really nice that she enjoys that you're going to do together. And just reassure her that she's with, you know, she's with her safety network. She's with her dad and his family and she will be coming home. And that's a little bit of when you come home, we're going to do whatever it is. And that's quite arbitrary. It can be whatever you want it to be. It's just subtly but clearly reminding her you are coming home. Yeah, this, this, this awareness will end, will end yeah. and you are coming home, but you don't want to get into this. Did you talk to your dad? Will I talk to your dad? Will because it's just going to become about something between you and he when actually she's nine. She's coming in towards that in middle childhood, in towards that preteen stage where we do want to see her self-regulating. We do want to see her being aware that she can master these upsetting, distressing, tension-rousing experiences once she's talking them through with someone. Yes. OK. So it's not about saying, "I'll," you don't worry, I'm going to fix all of this. It's, yeah, of course you can say all of that to me and I'm going to help you reframe it. And then I'm going to redirect you to what are you reading? I'm reading it too, sharing ideas or whatever it might be. I'm saying reading whatever she might be interested in. And focusing on coming home a little bit so that there's something to look yeah. forward to. Um, thir-
0: my, lovely thir- my lovely son is 13. Over the past two years or so, he started lying although he is really, really bad at it. It's about stupid, pointless things and important ones. He lies about school test results, even though he knew that I was going to get a report card. Losing things, calling into friends, everything. It seems to be second nature. He doesn't really care enough about video games, phones, so punishing him doesn't seem to work. We've had long chats about how I can't trust him and and how he wants more independence. He's so, so smart and I have high expectations but I don't think I put too much pressure on him. I feel so awful about this as it must be down to his relationship with us. I can't understand it. My mother lied about absolutely everything. I can't
1: stand the thought that he will be the same. Oh, I just that last line, there's a lot of <laughs> work a lot in that. In that last line right there, you know, because I think that's key. Your mother lied. And as a child growing up with a parent who lied, that's really hard. You know, it's it's hard to have that at any age. But as a child, when, you know, your relationship with your parent is the key fundamental trust based connection you have but you can't trust that person, that's very, very difficult and can be very triggering. Then when you see what you infer is a trait that he is developing, that's, that's like this. I would ask if you can and if it feels safe to do it, you know, just to sit and reflect yourself and ask and answer these of yourself, how did it feel to grow up with a parent that you could not fully trust? You couldn't fully rely on because of their tendency to lie. You know, how has that influenced your own parenting, how you parent your son, how you might be getting triggered or activated by this trait in him? And how does it feel to see this trait, this fear that you're speaking of? Oh, my goodness. Is he like her? What is that about? Because that's your story. That's Mm -hmm. not him. That is your story and you have to listen to that. I mean, lying in I've spoken before, we've had lots of questions about lying with younger kids, actually, when they make up these big stories and, you know, things that, you know, they're lying about and there are different approaches. And I really do believe that learning how to tell, refine and tell a fairly convincing lie is a developmental milestone. It is as important as telling the truth. But it does change as they grow. And he's 13 so at 13, we tend to see lying, especially of this nature in teens, when, you know, they're, they're trying to attempt to control what their parents know about them and their life. So they omit details, might be their version of it. You might go, no, that's a lie. But they're going, well, I just didn't tell, tell you the full, story. The full yeah. story. Because they're trying, and it's a developmental phase in adolescence to seek more privacy, to tell less. And parents will always want to know more than you're getting from your teenager. Um, now, that's one way of looking at it. But the other, especially when it's about you know, these silly, stupid, pointless things as this parent writes, but there's also the important ones. Now, I don't know what that means to this parent. I don't like that's quite subjective, what we would each define as an important, important thing. Lying. So have a think about that. The other bit is, you know, dealing with lying as a parent. I mean, teachers listening, I'm sure we'll have the same thing. This comes up in classrooms all the time in the, in the teacher-student relationship as well. But dealing with lying, it's frustrating it can be confusing. You know, you could read it. Why is he doing this? Why is he telling lies that I'm going to get that school report? Why would he even do that? I mean, I'd be curious about that. Is, it, it's, is there a, a even short term gain for him to delay the point of confrontation about the report? Because then, yeah, he has a reason to lie to you. So it happens on a Wednesday, not a Tuesday, and he gets a quiet Tuesday. Exactly. He's like, I could tell you today or we could wait the four weeks till the school sends you the report. I'm going to buy myself that four weeks. Thanks. I'm going to lie to you. Okay. so that brings me down to, you know, he's so, so smart and you have high expectations, but you don't think you put too much pressure on him. If I was asking your son, do you put pressure on him? What would he say? Okay. would he have a different answer? Because again, we might not intend to be putting pressure. Because
0: your subjective view of how much too much pressure isn't exactly. based on other people who put pressure on you.
1: And especially uh, as a parent, when we see our kids are really bright and we see they have such potential, and we're like, "I just want you to reach your potential." Surely that's not too much pressure. But if I'm a teenager going, <laughs> yeah. actually, you never stop talking about my potential, and it's a lot for me. Yeah. I'm quite overwhelmed by it. So think about it from his thirteen-year-old brain his 13-year-old developmental perspective, how would he tell this story that you've just told here? And I'm not saying you're going to go, oh, he's right, you're wrong. In fact, you might double down and go, I'm more right than I thought I was. You know, it's not about that. It's really about trying to perspective take, to try and mentalize it and think about it. What is his point of view on all of this? Because the, the this whole piece about he doesn't care enough about video games, phones to punish him. I'm glad he doesn't because punishing isn't the answer here. Before you move to behavioral correction, go first to emotional connection. Connect with him. What do you enjoy doing with him? What does he enjoy doing with you? How do you enjoy him? How does he know that he's enjoyed by you? And if you invest in that connection with him, especially at this age, then he's going to value the relationship more and the trust and therefore the honesty will grow from that. If this is more than we're reading here, I'm always conscious, you know, we get a snapshot of a situation here with a piece of information, then, you know, it might be worth considering bringing him to a suitably qualified, you know, mental health professional who can who can give him the space. But at 13, he's going to have to want to go and do that. So he, er, he would also need to see this as a problem. Yes. And if he doesn't, then that's going to be very hard for you to do. So I'm going to suggest you do a little bit of play with it, which I know might sound counterintuitive, but it can often be the way of of getting to that connection over correction, play a game of two truths and one lie. Do you remember playing this? Yes, yeah. Where, you know, somebody will tell you three pieces of information, two of them are true and one is the lie and you have to spot the lie but make it interesting and that you tell each other how you knew that one or how you guessed even if you're wrong what made you say that one was the lie so you can then reflect back to him well when your eyebrows moved or your shoulder tensed or I could see you were twitching your leg and that let me know that this was slowly wasn't. letting him know that he's a terrible liar well, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that. but doing it within play Yes. Okay. You know, being playful with it. And I think you could also say to him when he is without it, be everything becoming a confrontation, when he does tell you something that's not true, you can just calmly say, I know that's not true. You know, it's not true. I really want to have an open conversation and an honest conversation with you about it. So let's park it for now and come back at it later when you've had time to think about it and we can talk differently. Because if in that moment you're like, I know it's not true and so do you and that starts with it. it might pull you into a battle it might pull you into a let me bamboozle you with how I know you're lying you're lying you're lying you're lying which Nothing only makes people double down oh he's going to retreat to his corner nothing's going to happen but name it park it return to it but have a little playfulness with this and secure the connection
0: we have a text in here from Paul is it worth noting that when parents use white lies kids pick up on that and it might be learned from home by them directly
1: That's from Paul. I mean, Paul, that's a whole other... Paul, write that in as a question. That's a whole other discussion (laughs) because white lies... Are different. <laughs> there can be pro-social benefits to white lies that parents tell. Don't and even get me started on white lies. I've never. I know them. that's why I'm smiling. Yeah. Going. Stephanie's going to have a different answer to this. <laughs> I did once tell my
0: teacher that Charlie Hawhey was my father, though, um, because <laughs> I was I was lying, but I didn't know I was lying. My grandfather once told. Look, that's a whole. That's for a whole other day. Whole
1: other piece. But sometimes there is a pro-social message in white lies, and actually, if we model open, honest communication with our kids, that's the lead. But that's why. I don't think punishing and consequencing and coming down hard on this isn't going to affect a change. No, okay. We're
0: going to move on. Um, My middle child of three boys is three years old since the end of June. I started toilet training him the week after his birthday. I had done all the usual preparation. I took him to buy new underpants. I allowed him to choose, read books with him about becoming a big boy and having no more nappies and using the potty to do his wheeze and poos. The first day went as I had expected lots of accidents. I treated each accident as an opportunity to learn and I framed it positively for him while ensuring that he knew we don't do that on the floor. From that day onward, we've been met with total refusal. He holds in his wee and poo for hours and hours until he was almost sick and obviously distressed, at which point we'd be backed into a corner and end up putting a nappy on him, at which point he would immediately relieve himself. I've tried everything incentives, rewards of all kinds, playing, reading, blowing bubbles while sitting on the potty. Nothing is working. He starts play school in a couple of weeks with his older brother who's only 14 months older and he's excited but they won't accept him if he's not toilet trained I'm very anxious and worried I've tried stepping back easing off he wants to wear his underpants and doesn't want to wear nappies but when he needs to go to the toilet he asks for a nappy some other relevant info is that he has had issues with constipation all year he's on Movicol daily and at times during the year when he was badly constipated, he seemed to be experiencing some bladder bowel confusion. There's definitely some association with pain at play, I reckon. I'm at my wits end. Any advice would be greatly appreciated.
1: The anxiety is palpable from this. Yeah. Like I, I can feel it. And it's as you were reading through that I'm going, this is definitely linked to preschool start date because there is that pressure. And that's not a judgment of um, play schools or preschools at all, because they they will need children to be at a level of independence uh, within the service. But three year olds don't operate that way. Yeah. So some of our children will take to toilet training and they won't look back. Some of them will treat you to five really rough days. And just as you're on the point of, I've read this wrong, they're not ready, they'll suddenly get it. And you'll be like, oh. So we have to move at the child's pace, not. Our adult world yes. pace, which is I need you to have this done by this date in August so that you can go to preschool so that this can happen. So that oh, because your anxiety is going to communicate no matter how hard you try. The other thing that's jumping out of me, Stephanie, here is that this parent has tried everything. And I'm wondering, is it too much?
0: Right. Okay. Like
1: it's everything. And there's been this and that and the other and books and playing and bubbles and to I try just
0: getting the message of like,
1: way back. It's too frenetic. It's mm-hmm. too urgent. There's too much pressure with this. I think it's hard because this kid is the middle of three and he has a brother, a sibling, 14 months older who may have taken to the old toilet training a little bit easier so that you've got that comparison as well. And you can think, well, look, this system worked for the other one. It might not work for this one. I'm going to suggest you go way back to the beginning as if you were starting this over. Start afresh with it using all of the patience and the reframing that you've done there. Pick one thing, you know, incentives and rewards. I mean going to the toilet and the toilet is sim- simply a life skill kids have to develop okay um, so I wouldn't be throwing parties every time every they time do they it, it you know because yeah. it teaches them it's only really worth doing if there's a load of stickers involved or I get a yeah, big yeah. toy you know just do it but make it a, a more pleasant experience think about not using a potty with a three year old uh, again it depends on his size because it can be an unpleasant sensory experience if they go in the potty and it splashes up on their bottom Okay. same with the toilet having a little child size ladder seat thing that sits on the toilet can give them a lot of security, Um, doing sensory play. I mean, anytime a toilet question, toileting question comes in, I feel like I might be giving you all the same advice, but it's because there isn't like a, a master answer to this. But there are certain things that can help. So using the play, like you talk about playing and you might have tried this. I like to put wet sand in a funnel into a balloon and squeeze it out. It gives them that sensory experience of squeezing and releasing and seeing the wet sand come out is quite (laughs) poo-like and uh, how many times can I say that word now in this question and also making cocoa powder play-doh and chocolate play-doh and just letting him manipulate but equally getting a water balloon and just trying to put teeny little holes in it um, which is tricky because they explode take a normal balloon maybe and do it it's a bit easier and just let him squeeze and the water comes out in the way we does in the toilet the other thing I do is make it a bit interesting put a handful of cheerios down the toilet little breakfast thing and give them something to aim at and see, you know, aim at the cheer. You can put a wine cork down either it'll float um, the Cheerios will flush so you'll need to replenish them every time. <laughs> but keeping it a bit playful like that can help and otherwise it truly is patience. Like many children do not toilet train at three years old. Okay. Many so take until they're a few the months worry. older. Go back to the beginning and start over and remove the everything. Yeah. Pick one thing,
0: Thanks and stick that. with it. Okay. Uh, our lovely almost eight-year-old daughter has particularly dark long hairs on her legs. She has never said it but we're guessing that she's very self-conscious about this. Um, because this summer she's choosing not to wear shorts or shorter dresses or skirts that expose her legs. We're heartbroken for her. My husband and I have been researching and there seems to be many people in the same situation. What worried us were some comments from adults who said that they ended up resenting their parents who didn't allow them to remove hair when they were young and self-conscious. I feel a little guilty myself because at the moment I'm in the middle of laser hair removal for my legs and she knows this. I speak openly about it and often explain how when I was younger I saw my mum shaving her legs and I thought it was just what people do but I cut myself off and it made the hairs grow stronger and that's why I ended up getting laser hair removal. I've told her that if she ever felt she wanted to remove the hair when she's older to come to me and I'd help her pick the right way. I also told her that many people choose not to remove their body hair and that's also okay. My husband thinks we should just show her how to shave or help her use hair removal cream, even if it's only for the first few weeks of good weather that we get. I'm really not sure. I spoke to my beautician and she said she wasn't sure either. Waxing is painful and they wouldn't do it in children younger than 11. I'm planning to save up for her 18th birthday and let her get laser hair removal if it's still something that holds her back by then, as it did for me most of my life, but that's 10 years away. We would greatly appreciate your advice on this soon, as if the weather stays hot, we would love her to dress more comfortably.
1: There's so much... I, 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 I in this letter and I don't hear anything other than inferences that this child is in distress over her legs. Yeah, like she has never said it. but hasn't said. She's self-conscious yeah, about it's, it. It's, and look, when you make an inference about something, you might be right, but you might be wrong. And it's really important to hold a place of curiosity on this one. Like what signs of distress is she showing you? I know you're saying she won't wear shorts or, or shorter dresses or skirts. There could be lots of reasons yeah. about that. And also the conversation about hair removal and the idea that hair is to be removed may have flagged to her that this is something, something. to be aware of. Yeah. So I'm not saying you can't exactly put that you've you've had that conversation and you were quite right a natural shaving I mean this is not my area I'm not a beautician but that immediately makes me think that's high risk okay yes, yeah. she's still 8 so even if you show her that's a blade in her hands. And I think she, that there's high risk there. Um, there's no right or wrong age on this. There's, there isn't even an expectation that she should shave any of her body hair at any point in time. It's a decision she needs to come to. But you have done the right thing telling her to come to you. Keep saying that. Um, but right now, she hasn't said anything that, I, that you're alluding to in this letter. So be very careful of projecting onto her why else she might want to do it. Like be very careful of projecting that when you were younger, this you are conscious of your legs. And there you could guys this. a number are watching of this. why
0: she doesn't want to it wear shorts. It could be shorts.
1: all kinds of reasons. It may be that she wants to play in a way that wearing leggings are longer. Do you think that they should say to her, we notice that you're not wearing shorts? Or? Absolutely could come at it that way. Going, it's really hot. Might you be more comfortable in shorts or in a dress? Is there a reason you, you're choosing to wear leggings or whatever it is? And if she's like, I just like them that's a valid answer answer. okay Um, I would she's only eight I would try and delay it if you can but don't I mean if she was showing signs of distress I think we could explore it differently but I just don't feel that here yeah and you've even said that she isn't distressed Uh, Joanna Fortune thank you so
0: much Joanna will be back uh, so keep your questions coming in throughout the weeks and we send them to Joanna and she will answer them you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk and after the break would you eat your dinner from a can?